a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Danny Bennington and welcome to my podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's been affected by cancer and menopause. I'll be speaking to special guests and menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and of course, address the greater picture. We're going to talk about everything from mental health to physical health, sexual health to bone health and everything in between. Nothing is off limits, welcome. Welcome to today's episode of the podcast. This is a super practical session and I hope you've got a pen and paper ready because I think you'll just love what our expert of today has got to say. Menopause care after cancer most certainly needs improvement on so many levels. Each week I get emails from women who say they've had absolutely no help. They might have been discharged after their active treatment for cancer and then they feel left, left off. And many echo what I've been experiencing myself and that is the total confusion of what's what. What is even menopause related? What is treatment related? What's the cancer? What is lingering maybe from the pandemic? So many of you have been diagnosed in the last couple of years, navigating lockdowns, pandemics. And then we wonder who's the right person to help us. So many people I speak to really don't know how to navigate the medical system. And so the podcast episode is all about that. And of course, I'd like to create change at a much larger scale. Of course, our medical system needs adapting. So many more people are living longer and surviving cancer, but now we need help in doing so, so that we also have a good quality life. It's a big task, of course, but until then, I've made it my mission to help and empower each of my listeners and clients so that from today onwards, we can feel better educated, more informed and hence have, can make better choices for ourselves for today and our long-term health. So in today's episode, I want to talk to you about what can you do when you feel you have no options and how can you navigate your health within the NHS and private care? And I'm really passionate about our speaker. She's fabulous, Dr. Lindsay Thomas. She's a registered British Menopause Society specialist with the highest level of training, the advanced certificate. She's also an accredited trainer helping others to develop a specialism in this area. And she's worked as a GP for almost 20 years in a really large inner city practice in Sheffield, where much of her time has been spent working in women's and sexual health. And today she can also be found at the Specialist Menopause Clinic in Leeds, and she also works privately at Menopause Care. Let's welcome her in. Hello, Lindsay. Hi, Danny. Thank um, you. Thanks for having me. It's great. I thought you would be absolutely perfect for today's episode because you are a menopause specialist with intense training and you've got your fingers in lots of different areas of menopause care. And that's yeah, what I, I love. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was hoping you can help us navigate the system. But before we do that, we really kind of need to understand what is going on. Can you give us some examples of all the women and clients and patients you see how they arrive in menopause and how you can sort of help them. 
So there are lots of different reasons why women will find themselves in menopause. And I think the main the main one for most women that everybody's going to be familiar with is that being something which happens naturally when your body has run out of its own egg reserves and you go through what is an expected process in your late 40s, early 50s, for most women of your period stopping and then having lower levels of estrogen and the symptoms which may or may not come with that. But there are other reasons why women can find themselves in that situation. And that can be as a result of surgery. So having had ovaries removed and there's a number of different reasons why that might happen. Conditions, um, ovarian cysts, endometriosis, but also cancer, you know, for um, women who are at higher risk of cancers or have had cancers, they might have their ovaries removed to to lower their estrogen levels. And then there will be women who've been put into a menopause by treatments that they might be having. So that might be because of cancer treatments like chemotherapy or radiotherapy, which actually have a big impact and take out the ovarian function. And depending on what those treatments have been, that might be temporary for some women. It might not be for everyone. Sometimes that's to do with the type of treatment. Sometimes that's to do with how old you are when you have those treatments, the likelihood of your ovaries recovering. Um, And then there are women who've had estrogen receptor positive cancers, which tend to be breast cancers, who are on treatments which are actively either protecting their body from the estrogen or trying to really mop up every tiny little last bit of estrogen that your body could have. Women in those sorts of situations who go from having very normal levels of estrogen to having literally no estrogen at all often experience more severe symptoms than people who this has been a bit more of a gradual natural process. Mm. And you I guess see a variety of everyone comes through your door right and what I'd like to sort of make a little bit of a difference here is that I've been speaking to women who had for example pelvic radiation Mm -hmm. for their cancer treatment and then they've kind of been discharged with no follow-ups. And then I speak to women who are put on tamoxifen, for example, as their long-term cancer treatment, and they're still within oncology. So they might have nurses they could contact. And everyone is experiencing menopausal symptoms. Where can we dock onto and who are the people that can actually help us? Because there are very few menopause specialists in this country. Mm -hmm. And yet so many people who are going through cancer treatment are in menopause and it's often much worse for them than some say it's worse for them than chemo radiotherapy and surgery together and so I'd like to know where we can go and what our access points are how do we arrive at yours basically I I think a really important part is that I mean we can everybody can see in the media at the moment you know menopause is is having a moment and it's being much more recognized for the impact that it can have on women's lives. And I think that sort of understanding of the menopause process is just as important and hasn't had hadn't in the past progressed into women who are menopausal because of cancer treatments. And I think because of that, perhaps it hasn't been recognised that it is going to be a real problem for women. And I think a big group of women who fall into that are women in their 40s who it's sort of seen as or can be seen as that, well, they were going to go through this process anyway pretty soon. So this isn't going to be a problem for them. 
with younger women, it should always be picked up on because particularly in women who are able to have their hormones put back, and that's not going to be everyone as a first choice, but lots of women who've had, perhaps have had chemotherapy for haematological cancers um, or have had their ovaries removed for other reasons, or like you said, have had radiotherapy for you know other cancers and are able, there is no reason for them not to have um, estrogen it's really important that those women are thought about because they are going to have long-term implications of not having their estrogen and there are real benefits of putting them in them back as well as them feeling better symptom wise so, so the, the few people sorry to interrupt but the no. few people i've sort of spoken to recently they're falling exactly that category there is no reason or contraindication why they shouldn't have their hormones be put back in and the only reason that happened for them is because they put in the research and they went on banging on doors, phoning people. And it wasn't a natural progress. It wasn't naturally, they weren't naturally referred to someone who specializes in menopause. And I think there's a real gap, isn't there, in the system? Yeah, and I can't speak nationally for what happens. I, I think what it will be a real barrier to this, but shouldn't be, is that there are only just over 100 registered menopause clinics in the UK. And that's what these women need. They need someone who the cancer specialist has done their brilliant part and they need a menopause specialist to then be able to say, OK, we understand what you're going through. We can talk you through your options. We can think about, you know, the options that you might want to consider when you're 25 in terms of hormone replacement therapy might not be the same as someone who is 50 um, there's lots of other things to take into account their lifestyle how they might want to feel alongside their friends who are living lives where they're not taking hormone replacement therapy they've already had a huge upheaval in their life that other people of their age are not going through and I think you know being able to feel as you know for want of a better word as normal as they possibly can and us helping to facilitate that they do need a specialist to do that for them but um coming back to there are very few clinics and and i wonder if in some cases because the focus understandably is on helping this person survive and live you know a long and healthy life post their cancer the cancer is focused on so much that this just gets left by the wayside Speaking personally, when I said I can't speak nationally, in Leeds, in the clinic that I work in, actually, my experience is that it happens very well. And the young women who've had, who are either temporarily experiencing a lack of ovarian function, or that's going to be a permanent problem for them, are referred through to us to have a conversation about their options. And it does seem to be that it's really recognised by the, the specialists that we, we have referrals from, that these women need their hormones. So I, I, I don't know why there is a barrier to that, but I agree with you. I hear those stories as well, Danny, and I see people privately who haven't been able to get help. Of course. And I don't think I always want to sort of blame the system or, you know, how the GPs get really bad reputation. I'm sure there is place for all of that and how we can improve that. But really, I want to sort of find options of what we can do now. Like if anyone is listening to this, I don't yeah. want to blame the system and think, oh, it's going to take another 20 years until we get it all right. What is it that we can do now to help ourselves, even if it's a little bit? And so let's not focus on menopause specialists so much. Mm. Let's focus mm. on the general practitioner because you've okay. been a GP nearly for 20 years. You see yeah. so many people. And I know you've always run sort of the, the side at your practice for women's health and sexual yeah. sort of expertise. But if everyone's got a GP and so really what can we do after cancer when we go to the GP? How do we have that conversation? Is it 
Where do we start? Well, I think there's almost a step back to take from that as well. In right. that, I think if you are having any treatment that you have been told is going to have an impact on your ovaries, you've been told, you might have been told it not in that way, but you might have been explained that it's going to have an impact on your fertility. You might know that you're taking treatments that are going to lower your estrogen levels. It's important to speak to your consultant, your oncologist or or whoever's looking after your cancer and to say, what's this going to mean for me? What is this going to mean for me hormonally? Is this going to be like this for the rest of my life? Or can I expect my ovaries to recover in any way? And if this is going to be a permanent situation, am I okay to have hormones? So that you've started that conversation, you've had that discussion in a consultation with them. And as a result of that, they will include that in a letter to your GP. Because whenever you're seen in a hospital clinic, a letter comes out to the GP explaining what's happened in that consultation so that we're part of the story, so that we know how to pick up from what's happened in hospital. So in terms of being empowered, I think that's a really important step in this is understanding what does this mean for you and feeling that you can ask that because then when you're going to see your GP you're very much more aware of what the situation is is for you yeah and it's exactly what we say to all of our clients private clients or all of our young adults in our track stock program and just the other day uh, one of them said to us actually that she asked exactly that question and her oncologist was kind of like just not really giving any answers because he or she was saying well so many things could happen the menopause is could all of this could happen and nothing might happen. And so there's no point in telling you what might happen because it might never happen in the first place. And she felt really annoyed about that because she would have liked to be informed and warned. And then there are some people, when you give them the information, it's too much for them. But I think that question, what you just said, will hormones be an option for me? is crucial, isn't it, for helping their discussion with the GP? Absolutely. Because otherwise, um, you know, GPs are not the specialist that's been looking after your cancer and they might not know that that's going to be okay for you. And and also, I mean, I think a big part of this, Danny, isn't it, is that, you know, when we've talked about the menopause not having been recognised for women going through as a natural process, I don't think, I mean, in your experience, Danny, was it talked about with you how you might feel? Um, So I had to, you know, it was really different when I first had chemo I can't remember anyone saying anything about the menopause to me and maybe I've forgotten or I blanked it out then or it didn't seem important because it was just about surviving and my period stopped and I'm sure I said that to you before I never knew that was menopause I mean I was so poorly so poorly educated and informed but had loads of symptoms that I always just thought are chemo related. But now I look back thinking, oh, those hot flushes, <laughs> that yeah. waking, like loads of vaginal symptoms as well. And period stopped, obviously. So I knew I know more now than I knew then. Yeah. And then when I was preparing for my ophrectomy, that's when I was really highly aware of everything. And I did my research. So I have mm. two very different experiences. One not knowing anything and the other one really well educated and informed yeah and I think that when we have this perhaps isn't helping people to get help now which we can we need to talk about but I think you know there are so many brilliant the breast care nurses are you know are brilliant aren't they and such a source of support for women but I think we need to be factored in that that is talked about it is part of it you know all of the other bits are are, um, talked about you know how you might feel with your chemotherapy how you might feel with your radiotherapy how this might impact on your relationship 
but the menopause symptoms are a big part of this and I actually think they can be quite it can be quite scary as well because you're so busy being on high alert for symptoms of your chemotherapy that might be worrying that then if you've got menopausal symptoms coming in as well it's how to separate out those two things and know almost is this my chemotherapy or is this actually menopausal symptoms and I think that's really helpful because actually in some situations if you're having lots of hot flushes you might be worried that you're developing a temperature with your chemotherapy for example and think oh my goodness do I actually need to contact the hospital about this because both you and I would know Danny that would be quite a serious side effect of chemotherapy and and I think being able even just being able to reassure yourself and think no hang on a minute they've told me I could experience all of these symptoms. So this is what is going on. Yeah. And I do think the more patients ask the questions, and even if they're bothersome to oncologists, or they're a little bit annoying, because the breast care nurses heard them over and over again, I think the more difficult we almost become as patients, the healthcare professional is then going to think, actually, I've got to really just come up with better answers, because more and more people are demanding the information and the two will come together a little bit more perhaps in the future. Um, yeah, I hope so. It would be lovely to think that that was part of every, I mean, breast cancer forms a big part of this because women who have had, well, either had chemotherapy like, like you had or like lots of women might have, or are going to be on longer term treatments, which are depleting their estrogen or, you know, affecting the way that estrogen impacts on their body. I think they really need to be, we need to focus more on educating women about that because yeah. it, it's feeling in, in any situation, the more knowledgeable, the more aware women are of menopausal symptoms in for whatever reason, the better their experience. Yeah. So take yourself back about 15 years to when you were a younger GP doing a great job with the knowledge you had then. No one talked about the menopause and you had people after cancer coming in. There must be so many GPs out if there I'm, now who don't have I mean, and honestly, if I look back... It, when I look back now over the last, so yeah, to that time, I wouldn't have had a clue. I would not have had a clue that that's why these women were feeling how they were feeling. And that makes me feel really ignorant now. But there was no, there is no, I had no menopause training at, at university as a student. I did an obstetric and gynecology job as part of my training. And I did no menopause training as part of that either. So anything I've learned about them, obviously I've decided to specialise in that, but anything that I've learned and the vast majority of GPs of my age, particularly, will have been on the job, so to speak. And so, yeah, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have understood that that is why someone was experiencing those symptoms necessarily. I I would have recognised, you know, the very typical hot flushes, night sweats, period stopping. But I don't think I would perhaps have, especially with the climate surrounding HRT at that time, um, with a lot of scares towards it, I don't think I would have been as aware that young women needed their oestrogen putting back if they could. Yeah. And I think it's so great you're sharing this now because we still have loads of GPs who are in that situation now and they just haven't gone on further training or they weren't able to go in a training course. And it's so good that we can now learn from how you felt all those years ago. And I think it's difficult, isn't it? Because people can feel and I understand that because you have to put yourself in a patient perspective rather than just always seeing it from a doctor perspective. Patients feel really let down, really cross, really angry. And actually, the vast majority of GPs are fantastic. And really at the heart of everything about what they do is about wanting to help their patients. So I, I, 
although GPs might come across sometimes in some situations, it might seem to a patient that they're being obstructive. I would say, you know, 99.9% of the time they wouldn't be. It just would be a lack of of awareness. And and we can tend to tiptoe around people who've had perhaps a cancer diagnosis a little bit because you're worried that you're going to do something wrong, that they're wrong. You feel like you have to check everything with their oncologist. And actually these situations, we shouldn't feel like that. We should feel like, okay, we know what's going on here. This person's okay to have hormones. This is what we can do. We're just going to treat them like anyone else who is menopausal. So you also need better guidelines, right? Better guidance in what to do with us, <laughs> I guess. Absolutely. I mean, that is, I mean, we really could do with use of hormones post-malignancy. And it wouldn't be yeah. an easy document to write because it should be really individualized. But I just think even something to recognize that we can um you know that there needs to be an awareness would be brilliant Mm. in the last poll we did 88 percent of the people we asked said their last doctor's visit was more than unhelpful Mm. which was really sad and obviously we then thought well maybe they just didn't go in very well prepared or maybe they just went to the wrong gp and you know if this is a gp who is brilliant at giving injections for knee pain then maybe he or she can't know everything on menopause so we sometimes say it's good to find a different gp we could find the receptionist and ask if there is anyone with a special interest in women's health and then make an appointment and you know what the discussion then was that so many people feel a little bit bad as if we don't want to upset our gp and it's funny we still have that feeling but what would you have thought so would you even know that if we check or would you what how do you feel as a GP? So it's funny, isn't it? Because I hear that from women a lot. And women, well, and women and men, they don't want to upset their doctor, but they might yeah. have seen with they might have had a doctor. Most people tend to, I know it's not easy to see the same person, but most people tend to gravitate towards one person that they go to and they might have been since they were a child, or they've always been with their family and their children, and they really trust them and they're brilliant. And people feel a sort of disloyalty if they then want to see someone else. I don't think I have ever picked up on that. I don't ever feel offended if someone sees someone else. And that's really because, you know, it's natural in all areas of people's careers, not just medicine, that people have areas that they are more interested in or more specialist in. And a practice, a GP practice wouldn't be a great practice if everyone wanted to focus on women's health, because where does that leave the elderly? Where does that leave the children? So um, as much as, you know, my colleague in the room next to me might be fantastic with anything musculoskeletal, they can give joint injections. Therefore, I can't do that. That's not something I've, I mean, I could do if I trained, but it's not something I've chosen. It's not where my interests lie. So whilst I can do the basics for someone who has, I will often say, do you know what? I think it'd be really good to have an appointment. Let me book you an appointment with so-and-so because they're much better at this than me. And that is, you know, you do have to recognise that people have different different specialisms. So I think actually when patients think about that, I actually think about the relief that that doctor might feel (laughs) that actually, brilliant, they're going to go to someone that is much better at this than me. So I'm not in the slightest bit offended. I love that because so many of us feel like this. We don't want to upset the doctor. And so this gives us the green card. Go and choose your GP. There's nothing better than having a good relationship with your GP and feeling that he or she is part of your team. And they might not be able to help with everything, but it's so good to have that relationship. We often also say to our people in our community go in really well prepared like if you have a list of your symptoms people go in with the balance app which is perfect you can print out reports and just see where you're at 
do you find that helpful as a GP or do you think, oh my gosh, here she comes? <laughs> She's, no, I think, it's really, I think it's really helpful when people come in. What is very helpful is people coming in with an, and I, I mean, sometimes when we're talking about this, with other situations, sometimes people have no idea what's wrong with them and they're just coming in with a list of symptoms. And obviously they can't then say, this is what I think. But if actually you are thinking, hang on a minute, something has gone wrong with my hormones. I've had all this treatment. I think these symptoms are menopausal. That's so helpful to go in and lay that on the table and to say, this is what I've been experiencing. And I think it's because of my hormones. What do you think? And what treat we you know, what do you think we could do about this? And also really helpful then is to have had that conversation with your specialist who to say there should be a letter from my specialist because I've spoken to them and they had said that I could do this or that or or whatever. So, no, I do think that is helpful. I think um, it can sometimes be difficult. It's good to be open minded as a patient as well. If it's the first time that you're seeing someone, I think it is good to be open minded about what treatment might be the best for you, because it might be something that you haven't considered or haven't thought about. And it's it's good to be open to having a discussion about what all of the options might be. And then obviously, if you're not getting what you want, pursuing that in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. And at what point could a GP refer us further? So do you think we should try a few things with our GP and if we don't get any further, get menopause help from a specialist or do we go in and go, right, I need to be seen by a menopause specialist. I've had cancer. What do you think the pathway so could be? I think it, so I think it really depends on the situation. So anyone who has gone through, is going through menopause and they're under the age of 40, for whatever reason that comes under the umbrella of, and I know you'll know this, Danny, but it comes under the umbrella of something called primary ovarian insufficiency. And that can happen for all sorts of different reasons, but your ovarian function being affected by cancer is one of those. And those women who are needing menopause support should really be seen by a menopause specialist um, to make sure that everything has been covered and all the necessary tests have been done, bone scans, that type of thing. If you are someone who is going through menopause naturally, um, because that's obviously going to happen to people as well, you've had a cancer treatment and then you are going through the menopause naturally, you might not need to. And that would depend that everybody who's had breast cancer would need to go to um, a menopause specialist if they want to talk about hormones. If they want to talk about non-hormonal options, your GP might feel really comfortable doing that with you. They might not, but that's not a reason. I do hear of women who, it's not many, but I do hear of women who've been told, you know, oh, well, you just, you can't have anything. This is just how this is for you because I had an estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. So there isn't anything we can do. I think that's really rare that that happens. But in that situation, if if the person looking after you doesn't feel confident to talk about non-hormonal options either, then that's absolutely a point to ask to be referred because all you're asking for is a discussion to understand what this means for you and what your options are. So I would say at what point your GP would refer you, it might be on a first appointment if they have no idea, if they don't know, and that's okay for them not to know if it would be all right for you, if that's outside of their, their specialism, or it might be, that you've tried a couple of things and that hasn't worked for you, or you're a younger woman, you it is okay for you have been to be started on hormones. You have been started on hormones, but you're needing more estrogen because there is something which will come into this is that younger women 
sometimes need much higher levels of estrogen than older women would need because of where they were before they went into the menopause. And that then comes outside of licensed dosing sometimes. And GPs understandably might not feel comfortable with that. So that would then need a specialist to step in and say, you know, what their opinion on that would be. The reason why I really sort of want to highlight that pathway is because the last time I asked a group of, say, 20, three quarters had no idea a menopause specialist existed. And those were cancer patients and younger cancer patients. They didn't know that existed. So I wonder if I was part of that conversation with you at the time, Danny, because we were doing a workshop, weren't we, together? And I remember being really shocked that I was saying to women, oh, no, no, everybody can be referred to a menopause specialist. And just look up on, I mean, a really good resource is the uh, British Menopause Society have got, if you put in your postcode and you tick NHS or you tick private, it comes up with where all the specialists are near to you. And there might, there might be one in your local hospital. There might not be one in your local hospital and you might want to be, and there isn't, every patient has a choice. So if you live in I think when we were talking, there might have been someone from Brighton. And if you're living in Brighton and there isn't your nearest clinic, and I don't know because there might be a nearer one, but if your nearest clinic is London, then you can go to London. And I think it's women feeling empowered to know that actually this is the same as, you know, when you were having your refractomy, when you were researching that, you you can research and choose where you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't know who told me. And I've said that to so many people since. And they're always really surprised that we have a choice mm. within who becomes part of our care team. But we do have a choice. We and yeah. we have more choice than we think sometimes. And so I've, it's a great tool to empower people to know that they can go to different places. Yeah. And in fact, the same question I asked just last week, whether the community knew that they had access to a menopause specialist. And again, three quarters said no. And so We want to get the word out there, but at the same time, I know we'll have loads of listeners who are healthcare professionals. They're now going to think, oh my gosh, we're inundated already. (laughs) And we're going to have hopefully loads of patients who think, oh my gosh, there's hope. And the two just have to meet somewhere. But I know your waiting lists are getting longer and longer. And I was just saying to you earlier, I was waiting for my own menopause specialist on the NHS to phone me on Tuesday. I was glued to my phone the hour before. That's how important these appointments are for people like me no one phoned and the day later I had a letter the day after I had a letter and my appointment is now in November and we're talking six months later yeah your waiting times are long and they were vary across the hundred clinics you have mentioned what can we do in the meantime (laughs) so I think from giving up hope I think in the meantime if you are waiting for an initial appointment and yeah waiting lists are long at the moment and that's because you know there has suddenly been this explosion and awareness of the menopause and 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 that is and women are understanding that they can they do have options they can ask to speak to a menopause specialist which is great but when those numbers are limited that obviously is what's creating this problem your gp can really be your advocate in this situation so they can contact the um So the first thing I would do is to contact the clinic that you're meant to be seeing. You'll always have contact details on a letter that you'd be, you know, if you've been sent a letter to tell you that you're on a waiting list um, to say that you're happy to have if any, if there are any cancellations, can you go on? Often there will be um, a list of people that could have an appointment at, at a last minute. 
but also to ask your GP if they can get some advice in the meantime. So rather than a referral letter, which has just gone in, you know, please, can you see this patient for me? It is possible for GPs and lots of GPs will be doing this in any case to ask for some advice, what's called advice and guidance. And if is there anything that I can do for this patient without them needing to come and see you? Or is there anything that we can do in the interim? Is there anything that might help with this? So that is a possibility as well. And that might mean then that your GP gets a really helpful uh, communication back from the specialist clinic that says, actually, why don't you try this? Or why don't you try that? And that, so then you could start on treatment already, or you've got options to discuss, or it, sometimes it just means that you might have some tests done so that when you go to clinic, you're already sort of one step ahead of where you need to be. Mm, I love that. And also it continues the good relationship with your GP, right? Mm. You can continue to work on your plan, which is yeah. a nice feeling that you've got someone sort of fighting your corner for you a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Then I arrive at yours and you mm-hmm. get really difficult patients um, or difficult situations, right? And these are then there's people who haven't been helped by their GP. They might have waited for a long time to come to you. And then you have to navigate the whole history. Do you liaise with their oncologists and, or do you, can you just help and treat them as you wish? So the difficult patients here are going to be the ones whom really it is contraindicated for them to have hormones. It wouldn't be a first choice. And I think, yes, you should, I would always involve their oncology team. I wouldn't, I suppose different because we are there as a specialist team. So we should be helping to make this decision with someone and help them to make an informed decision about what the risks and benefits for them would be. So it usually by the time people get to me, it's rarely going to be a straight, no, you can't. It's going to be talking through what this means for them as an individual. And that is very different from woman to woman in terms of what type of Um, breast cancer they've had when it was diagnosed what treatments they had all of those things are going to really influence the risks and benefits for that particular patient if I was I would always write to their oncologist if it was a patient who I would always communicate with their oncologist if it was someone who'd had a breast cancer and we talked it through I would normally say to women I'd give them all the information I summarize it in a letter and I let them go away and have a think about it whilst I contact their oncologist and then we can come back together and have a discussion and you know women sometimes at that point have very much come to see me thinking they would like HRT And then they very much decide they don't because they've had the opportunity to discuss what this means or potentially means for them. Or the flip side of that is absolutely they've digested everything and think, no, do you know what? This absolutely I understand this and I absolutely want to do this. And we've involved their oncologist. I think a slightly different part of that is vaginal estrogens. And the difficulty with breast cancer and any hormones is there's not a lot of evidence out there. And some of the evidence is quite conflicting. So it's trying to pick through that to work out what that means. I think it's largely accepted at the moment, women who haven't had breast cancer, well, in women who haven't had breast cancer, it's very accepted that vaginal estrogens do not increase the risk of breast cancer. There's very few risks. There would be hardly anyone who couldn't have that. And in breast cancer patients, for lots of them, although it still wouldn't potentially be a first choice, vaginal estrogens are considered that they are, they're as safe as we could imagine them to be. But that again, depends on what treatment you're on, where you are in this, what's going on. And I think a menopause specialist would be able to talk you through that, advise you on the risks and benefits, and most would prescribe 
not with they wouldn't yeah. necessarily feel they needed to speak to oncology there would be situations where they would and I would always let an oncologist know what what I've done the difficulty with that Danny is that not everyone's under an oncologist anymore by the time they ah, come and see exactly, me exactly so then yeah and not every woman with breast cancer ends up under an oncologist because if you don't need chemotherapy or radiotherapy you're under a breast surgeon so yeah. it's about then is there a team to even liaise with yeah. And the same must be for some gynae cancers, right? There's some estrogen dependent mm-hmm. gynae cancers. They're probably, they fall into the same category. Yeah. Um, so yes, you make the difficult decisions, whether someone can have hormones back in regardless of their cancer diagnosis. Mm. Do you also give them other medical options? I had the lovely Anis ah. Mukherjee on, and we've talked lots about the use of antidepressants. Do you use a whole combination? Absolutely. Of Absolutely. And that's what a consultation in that situation should involve because HRT is not first line and it is, you know, it is contraindicated. So what you would talk about is all of the other ways of managing things. And there are non-hormonal options available. And the one that is best for any individual woman would be the one that could treat most of the issues they've got going on. So some of the antidepressants that we might use, which would be good for hot flushes and night sweats, might also help with some joint pain. Some of the ones that we could use might help with bladder symptoms. So urgency, frequency, that type of thing. So there are, and I would always want someone to have tried you know one of those two of those before they think about something else it sounds so complex and it really does sound like it shouldn't be falling into general practice this sounds way too specific um a job really and so maybe the expectation that our gp should be sorting us with all of those issues is a little bit high anyway and I think the expectation in a breast cancer situation is, yeah, no, that isn't what should be happening. Unless someone has, you know, there will be GPs who are really specialists. You know, I've been working in general practice. I've got colleagues who work in general practice and do menopause as well. So you might be really lucky. But I, yeah, I do think it's too much of an expectation because the same as if someone has really complex asthma or something like that, it isn't going to be managed by someone who isn't a specialist. Mm. So, Lindsay, in terms of long term treatments that make us feel menopausal and as a result of it can come with lots of symptoms like tamoxifen, aromatose inhibitors, all these things. Can you help as a menopause specialist and maybe switching from one of those treatments to another to see if the outcome or the benefits would be as great but with fewer side effects or is that not what you do so it would never be my place to be switching them because I'm not an oncologist and which treatment people are on and how long they take it for will be very much determined by sort of risk scores that the um, oncologist use so usually something called predict which looks at how much benefit the treatment that you are on is going to give you in terms of preventing a recurrence But it is sometimes women will struggle more with one treatment than another. And so rather than us thinking about, do we need to try something non-hormonal or do we need to, you know, women thinking, often women will come to me, particularly privately, and will be saying, I'd like to start HRT, but they're on treatments which are making them feel how they feel. So in that situation, it's I always would recommend having a conversation with their oncologist to see that we know what are the benefits that they're getting from their treatment, which their oncologist will be able to discuss with them. And also whether there is any option for them to sort of switch things around 
around. So for example, women who are on aromatase inhibitors, some people might feel not great on one type, for example, uh, well, not particularly this one, but letrozole, and they might feel better on an astrozole or vice versa. And so it is, oncologists are really so knowledgeable, obviously in that and being able to talk women through that and what might help and what might not help. Younger women might be on injections, which are shutting their ovaries down. It might be that they could have a little break from that um, and think about other treatments. And, and obviously none of this is for someone to think that this would be a good idea for them as an individual. And I'm not an oncologist, so it's hard for me to, you know, I would never be advising making those changes. But the oncologist would want you to speak to them if you're struggling with your treatment because continuing with treatment, um, but perhaps switching it up is better than you not taking it because you feel so terrible with it. And I heard that so often from women and how it really helped them. Some women say they've got really bad joint pain, maybe on tamoxifen, and then they can switch to a different brand even. And that alone mm-hmm. can make a little difference. And so for anyone who might listen at the moment and think, gosh, I'm on this treatment for another nine years. How am I going to yeah. cope? You just want to say there is hope and you can mix things around, isn't it? In there? that situation, if someone is really struggling, I would, the first step for that would be contact your breast care nurse. If, you're still, um, if you still have one that you can contact, and say can I come in and have a chat about this because I'm struggling and you also work privately Hmm. when you have had a cancer diagnosis and you need help with your menopause is it a good idea to go and seek private help when maybe your other part of your care has been in the NHS or is that is that a problem or does that work quite nicely hand in hand No, I think it works quite nicely. And I think when we're in a situation where women are waiting months and months and months to be seen, actually, you know, women sometimes find the symptoms that they're experiencing of their menopause worse than the symptoms that they were going through with the cancer. I mean, and if you think about women who have breast cancer, they weren't feeling poorly before they had their any of their diagnosis or their treatments. They've just got a lump for the vast majority of people. And um, so for women who are feeling worse, they can feel like, well, I've been through all of this and now I'm left with what can feel like a life which is really difficult. So might not feel that they can they can wait that long to be seen. So private medicine then and for every situation where someone might be seen privately for whatever reason, it speeds it up. There is always more time in a private appointment as well. So if you feel, if someone feels that they are going to need to discuss everything and they want to have, you know, an hour's appointment with someone, that is only going to happen privately. And I think that's very, I think that's sad. It would be nice if we had the flexibility in the NHS, but we don't. Mm -hmm. Um, And that doesn't mean that you don't get as good a care on the NHS, you do. But I think privately there is a little bit more time and you'll be seen more quickly. What I think is really important in that situation is that you are seeing someone who is a specialist. You're seeing someone who is dealing with this in their day-to-day job in the NHS or has been or has training that brings them to a level that they should be expected to be able to deal with this. So anyone who has the uh, the British Menopause Society have a certificate called the Advanced Certificate and anyone who had that would be at a level where they would be able to manage and advise properly women who, who have had cancers. So I think it's important who people choose to see it mm-hmm. so that they know they're going to be given you know, the risks and benefits for them as an individual. So I, I do think, and and your specialist should absolutely be liaising with oncology. 
That is great. That is brilliant. I just wanted to really highlight that pathway and how we can access different help. And you've explained that so well from your perspective. And I was, I'm glad I could show you or explain to you what we worry sometimes as mm. patients and, mm. and how we can sort of make the two meet a little bit more. Well, it would be lovely if in 10 years time we spoke again and there'd be 200 menopause specialists <laughs> across the country, which isn't going to happen, is it? But also that I think the biggest thing that needs to happen is that we have an awareness of how low estrogen can impact on women and that any woman finding herself in that situation has information, has resources that she can go to so that she knows that actually, yes, I've had a leukemia. Yes, I've had chemotherapy. And this is what's potentially going to happen to me as a result of this. And so that women, it's not as dawn, you know, it's not a shock. It's not, you know, the symptoms aren't surprising that you know that that could happen you know you, you might go on to experience problems yeah I think that's crucial and also what's crucial is sometimes to follow up because I'm sure I was told things in the past and they might not have applied to me then and I might have been really anxious I was always so anxious at my doctor's appointments yeah and so when these things actually happened to me I'd forgotten someone mentioned them so sometimes I think it's important for healthcare professionals to revisit the same conversation and to ask I mean, yeah. in all those nine years since my diagnosis, no one's ever asked me about my sex life, for example, low libido, lack of sex drive, all of that. And we know that's a really typical menopausal symptom. And it's really hard for a patient to bring these things up sometimes when yeah. you're not asked as well. You know, how appropriate do people feel? It is appropriate, but how appropriate do people feel they've gone to see, they've had all their treatments, they have gone to see their oncologist for an annual review about their breast cancer, how easy is it to bring up and say, do you know what? My vagina is really dry. My vulva's really mm. sore. I never have sex with my partner anymore when that question's not being asked. And there will be plenty yeah. of oncologists who are, I'm, I'm, I know I'm saying, I'm so conscious that there are such brilliant doctors out there who are doing all of this. But obviously from what we hear from patients, that's not absolutely all of the time. So I think it's just mm. making sure that women feel that it's appropriate to mention that. And if you knew that that was a potential symptom, you would absolutely feel you could bring that up in your breast cancer appointment, wouldn't you? Let's hope lots and lots of doctors hear that much more often <laughs> in their consulting rooms. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for today's chat, Lindsay. It's been fabulous to chat. Thank you for having me. Right. I hope this episode has been as useful and practical for you as I'm hoping it will be. I would say three quarters of all the people I speak to have no idea who they can ask for help, what access they have, what their options are. And so today's episode is almost a starting point, right? It's how do we navigate care? And there's so many useful tips from Lindsay, not just if you're a patient, but also if you're a healthcare professional, a GP listening, so many useful tips and nuggets in this conversation for so many of us, so many learnings to be had. And so I hope this is a good starting point, a good beginning for those of you who are starting to navigate their journey. And I hope for everyone else who's been in menopause after cancer for a longer time, like me, years, it's also been really useful. Let me know what you think about the episode. And as always, you can always email me. I put my email in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. Let's keep the conversation going.